Our scripture reading is taken from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, where it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, the texture that we're going to be inspired by literally needs to be inspired by us. We need to breathe it in in order to appreciate it. It says, the house, the house was, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Imagine that smell. Imagine breathing in that aroma. What did it smell like? Minty, gingery, you know, who knows? Heavy and overwhelming, light and airy, we're not sure. And yet, there it was, filling the whole house. Compelled by a deep response to Jesus, Mary broke open a jar of perfume and poured it on his feet. But it was awkward. As Barbara Brown Taylor points out, she does four remarkable things in a row. First, she loosens her hair in a room full of men which an honorable woman never does. Then she pours perfume on Jesus' feet, which is also not done. The head, maybe. People do that to kings, but not the feet. Then she touches him. A single woman rubbing a single man's feet, also not done, not even among friends. Then she wipes the perfume off with her hair, totally inexplicable, the bizarre end to an all-around bizarre act. It's, it's not even, not, not just bizarre. It is, um, uh-oh. I did nothing. There it is. <laughs> okay, here it is. It's a bizarre end to a, an all-around bizarre act. And not only is it bizarre, it's excessive. It's, it's over the top. It exceeds the limits of reason or necessity. It lacks moderation. It, it lacks balance. It lacks restraint. The perfume was 
extremely and unreasonably high in price. She abandoned all decorum. No social pressure, no cultural expectations, no family budget could stop her from doing this remarkable act. She has broken all social taboos and just did what she felt she had to do. And you wonder, why did she do that? Why did she break all the rules and do this bizarre thing? What compelled Mary? Well, gratitude for one. This was a dinner in honor of Jesus, as it says at the beginning of our passage. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. How do you thank somebody who's done a miracle in your family? How do you thank somebody who's literally taken your dead brother and made him alive? There's there's no protocol for this. Well, at least you throw a dinner party. That's one thing you can do. You can can feed him. You You can cook up a feast to celebrate this amazing sign of this coming kingdom of this king. But Mary had another plan, one she didn't tell anybody about until the moment it happened. Maybe she had sat at Jesus' feet often enough to know a deeper gratitude. Whatever it was, it was over the top. It was extreme. Her beloved brother had come back to life, and she had him back, and she would not let anything stop her from showing profound gratitude. She was safe. She was secure in her house with her brother there. How could she show her gratitude? In this grand, loving, intimate, humble, yet extreme gesture. Yes, it was extreme. It was an expensive bottle of perfume. It was worth 300 denarii, it says in our passage. And 300 den- one denarii, a denarius, um, was a, a workman's wage for a day. So 300 days of wages. So with Sabbaths and holidays, that's a year of wages. The average income in Kitchener is just under $70,000. Imagine having a $70,000 bottle of perfume in your house. Imagine what you'd do, where would you put it? What would you do with it? How, how would you use it? Imagine opening it and, and using and pouring it all, every drop on your friend's feet as a way of saying thank you for a miracle. You think, why not just pour out some? Why, why, can't, why not save some for another day? But she opened it all and put it on Jesus' feet. You can't overstate the ex- extravagance of this act. You can't explain it. You can only observe it. You can only witness the value she placed on Jesus. Jesus is worth Mary's best. And that that reminds us that Mary's act was an act of worship. She reminds us that worship comes from the old middle uh, English, the old English word worth which means worthy or valuable. 
Worship is literally worth-ship. Jesus has value and worth. And when we worship him, we express the value, the the, the worth that we place upon Jesus for all that he's done for us. Jesus, that's why we praise him. He's the only one worthy of all that we have. He's the only one worthy of of us saying hallelujah. He's the only one worthy of us coming here and singing praise. We don't praise anybody else but the name of Jesus. You know, lately I've been thinking about how COVID has affected our worship. And, And churches all around the world are wondering, what has happened to us because of COVID? How, how has that affected our, our, our worship? You know, two years ago, we suddenly had to stop gathering. Suddenly had to stop doing this ancient practice of gathering together and praising Jesus. We had technology that helped us. And that, was, that was wonderful. It connected us to our computers and televisions, and we were glad to be connected, even if it was some way somewhat remote. And yet, COVID affected us. We're still thinking about how it's affected our worship, not just in terms of physical distancing and singing with a mask on, but but the subtle ways. You know, you wonder, we we had, um, for one thing, you no longer had to get ready for worship. You could watch it in your pajamas, you know, Facebook, oh, here we are in worship, you know, in your pajamas. And some of us do an email while we're watching And some of us are cutting the vegetables for the soup while we're participating in worship. And then you think, we no longer had to drive for however however long it takes you to drive here to worship. And, and, you know, so you could, and and no longer did we have a set time. We didn't have to worship at 10 o'clock. We could just go on YouTube any time of the day, any time of the week. We could go for a hike in the morning. And then, Worship in the afternoon, whatever. And suddenly, worship was starting to fit us rather than us fit worship. And worship was something we watched rather than participated in. And I wonder how that affects us. I wonder how that that will change us. Worship has, um, you know, our culture tempts us to, you know, not to worship. Our culture tempts us to value our own time and our own desire more highly than that of worship. And COVID seemed to have reinforced that culture. Coming to worship isn't some, is sometimes, it's not very convenient, actually. You have to get up on a Sunday morning when you're tired. You have to make breakfast for everybody. You've got to corral everybody. You know, come on, it's time to go. And you can be that dad or that mom, you know, and you got to get everybody in the car and then you got to come here. And you got to, you know, of all, the, of all the choices that we can make on a Sunday morning, we choose to come here. We choose, we sacrifice all the other choices to be with our fellow believers and praise the one who sets us free. To say yes to worship is to say no to many wonderful things that are available to us. And yet it's, and why do we do that? Because Jesus is worth it. To give praise to Jesus, we declare everything else is less worthy of our time. 
And Mary shows us something of the sacrifice Christ followers make. Hers is a one-time thing. It's, you know, nobody is telling you to spend, you know, all your money on Jesus' feet. That's a one-time thing. That's a, you know, Jesus said it as much. You won't always have me here to do this, so you don't always have to do that. And yet, we do sacrifice to worship. They offer the best of their time. We offer the best of our talents, our treasure, our wor- and to worship our Savior who has set us free. The scent of that perfume calls us back to worship. The scent of that perfume goes out and calls us into this place to be worshipers of Jesus who has done so much for us. Let it be extravagant. Let it be sacrificial. Let it be uncalculating. Just give God your best as you worship him. And that leads us to consider that there was something else that compelled Mary to pour all that perfume on Jesus' feet. It may not have been something she was thinking of. It may not have been something that was operating in her mind, but it was still something that was real and true. Pouring out that perfume on Jesus was a prophetic act. And just like all prophets, they don't always know exactly what they're doing or what they're saying. They just have to do it, and they have to say it. So this is something beyond Mary, pointing something beyond, to something beyond her, something that will happen shortly. You know, they say that the, the sense of smell is very deeply connected to memory. So when you smell something, it brings back memory, a memory of something. Whenever I smell Old Spice, I think of my dad. You know, he'd come home, he'd take a shower, he'd put on Old Spice, then he'd go on a home visit as an elder of the church. We remember smells. It connects us to feelings, feelings that are happy and joyful, sometimes feelings that are painful and, and of hurt and fear. You know, one of the sad things about COVID is we lost our sense of smell. The joy of smelling a delicious meal, the smell of a, blo- a blooming rose, the smell of burning leaves in fall, all those things, just we, we remember these things. And the aroma of perfume that Jesus or that Mary poured on Jesus' feet did the same thing to everybody in the house. It, 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 it filled them with a memory. And this memory, it, rem- it reminded them of death. It was the smell of anointing a dead body. It was strong and lovely, and yet it was designed to overwhelm the stench of death. Because in the burial practices of of the day, you would take a body to your family cave. There was a little cave cut into the stone, and you would lay the body there, and then you would anoint that body with oil. And as the body decomposed, it wouldn't, you know, the the smells would, would blend, and it wouldn't be so bad. It kept the smells from overwhelming the community, and that scent in the home reminded them of that. And in a way, it was misplaced, that smell. That scent, it should have been part of their experience of anointing a body in a tomb. Maybe Mary had saved this from, you know, when when Lazarus was supposed to be anointed. And she had this left over because, well, he didn't need to be anointed. He was reclining at table right there. 
But Lazarus, or but Mary's act of pouring it on Jesus' feet was, was something that prophesied to death, prophesied to Jesus' death. In the timeline that leads to the cross, this night before the triumphal entry, because the very next day, Jesus enters Jerusalem, it's Palm Sunday. And this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. And there is death in the air. And the spiritual leaders have put a death warrant on Jesus. And they've, they've officially decided, they've moved, seconded, carried the motion that we, uh, we arrest Jesus and put him to death. They have an official plan. That's, that's the story that happens just before our passage. If you read before our passage, and the, you know, Caiaphas says, better that, that one should be put to death than all of us. Let's just take him out. And then we have this story, and then right after this story, um, there's, the passage tells us that the threat got stronger and included the threat to Lazarus because, well, you know, Lazarus, people were coming to see him, and then they were coming to see Jesus, and that wasn't very good, so let's take him out too. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus is about to experience the brutality and shame of Roman crucifixion. And couched in these two stories of threat and death is Mary pouring out this expensive perfume. The harsh world stops for this brief moment. Jesus and his friends are in a safe place to say important things and receive important gestures. Things will change soon enough. But here's a space for joy and extravagance and a clear declaration of what is to come. Mary poured this perfume on his feet. That's not what, some, what, that's not what people do. When, when you would come to a person's house, you'd get anointed with a little bit of oil on your head as a way of welcoming you and, and just being part of, of what's going on. But to anoint a person's feet was to anoint a, a person who had died. You only a, anointed the feet of a person who has died. And, and so here's the, me, the message of Mary's unusual action. Jesus is who he says he is. He's been speaking to us all this time for, for weeks about going to Jerusalem, going and being betrayed and dying. And it's true. He's been speaking about his hour, and now his hour is very near. He's about to offer himself up as a sacrifice for sin, and the shadow of death makes what Mary does appropriate and prophetic. As Alice McKenzie puts it, she says, by her actions, she says, I would like to introduce Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the suffering, serving Son of Man, the Son of God who for a little while gave us the opportunity to sit at his feet. I would like to cherish him for one bright, fragrant moment before the sewage of hatred and violence washes over him and carries him away. And here, at the end of his ministry on earth, is an echo of, of a message that was spoken at the beginning of his ministry on earth by John the Baptist, who at the beginning of his ministry said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Mary echoes that same message through the perfume. And Jesus' words to, to, Joseph, or to Judas, grumpy, selfish, Judas, 
Jesus says, Mary got it right. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Jesus knew it had come. He, had knew, he knew way in advance that his hour was coming and he was carefully orchestrating it so that he would die as the Passover lamb, the once and for all sacrifice needed to save us all. Mary got it right. Jesus was going to suffer and die. Mary was prophetic, reaffirming what, was, what Jesus had been saying all along his journey to Jerusalem, reaffirming his call to die for us all. As I studied this passage this week, I, I wondered, why did, Mary, why did Mary use her hair to, to, to um, wipe the, the perfume off Jesus' feet? Why, why not a towel? Why, why wipe it up at all? I mean, how efficient is hair at wiping up something? Not very. And I wondered if she somehow wanted to share in, in something, be connected somehow to what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was about to do. And, and, and by wiping it on her, by, with her hair, she would ensure that, that she would have the same fragrance on her for a long time because it was a strong fragrance. And it would remind her of her friend's necessary death, especially as he went through this next week of triumph and the betrayal and brutality and sentencing and death. And as he poured out his life, she may have gotten whiffs of it because it does go away. And, and she may have gotten these whiffs of that pure nard and it, and it, 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 it connected her. And it... it um, she remembered that this hour had come and that his death is more than a tragic, shameful death, but a revelation of the glory of God. And it would remind her that this death was a fragrant offering and sacrifice that brings us peace with God. And it would remind her that his death is a pathway to life. And it will call her to join Jesus in giving her life in service to others and our lives in service to others. And as she learns about how Jesus on the night he was betrayed washed his disciples' feet, she may be drawn to be a servant as Jesus calls us. And it rem will remind her of Christ's call as the Lenten season calls us, come, follow me. Let that fragrance be upon us as well. In these final Lenten days, as we breathe this texture of this fragrance, this fragrant worship and prophecy. Take the extravagance of that precious love poured out on us, or by us on Jesus. We commit ourselves to following this same path. As it says in Ephesians chapter five, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we walk in love, we join the path we, Christ has called us to walk upon. The poor are indeed still with us, as Jesus said. And Christ does call us to feed the hungry and clothe those with nothing to wear and, and visit the imprisoned and do acts of mercy and walk humbly with our God. 
And when we give ourselves up for the sake of others, we offer that same fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we help, it's Refugee Sunday today. When we help refugees, when we help feed the homeless, when we visit the sick and the lonely and the comfort, the grieving, we do those acts of mercy and sacrifice that lead to peace and reconciliation. We walk this path and the fragrance of Christ is upon us. This is what Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians. He says, when he describes the Christians themselves as a fragrance that spreads the knowledge of God, he says, but thank God he has made us captives and continues to lead us along Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. People of God, this texture of Lent, this texture of worship, this texture of prophecy and, and sacrifice, this texture of Lent lingers upon us all as we follow the servant way of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Most generous God, when we think about the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross, how he did not stop or even hesitate to give his life for us, how his death gives us life, when we think about how his resurrection gives us a glorious future, how he fills us with his Holy Spirit to heal us and transform us, how your generous hand provides for all we need. When we think about these things and experience these things, we break open our best to praise and thank you. We bring our best tribute to your feet, praising you with all we are and all we have. And we ask that you help us follow in the servant way of Jesus. The poor are still with us, and you have shown us the way to give ourselves for the sake of others, to offer costly love to neighbor to love with generosity, to live in abundance and not scarcity, and to practice grace fully and freely. Accept our worship and our service as we follow the one who gave a fragrant offering on our behalf, Jesus our Lord. Amen.